0: You know, the election that happened recently has got everybody questioning the leadership of our country and they're wanting to know is our country heading in the right direction, is it heading in the wrong direction. You know, I, I can't say definitively. I, I, I can think by implication of how it's looked the last several years that we're not trending up as we should be. I think some things are happening that are good. I think things have happened that are bad. Mm. Obviously we know if we get back to godly leadership everything will work in the way that it's supposed to. Right. So it's like in the time of judges when they followed the judge that God gave them, everything was fine. The moment they went away from the judge that God sent to help them and they started to follow after the idolatrous mindset again, they fell right back into captivity and right back into oppression. Today, we don't have to worry necessarily about oppression and captivity, but we do have to worry about the church's leadership because even if the world has horrible leaders in every country, we can't have that said about the church. The world can be horrible and wicked, and the Lord's people can still prosper and thrive. We know from Scripture the remnant, right. and you know, in, in the New Testament church age, we're the remnant. The Christians are the remnant that will be able to maintain a faithful life. They'll have the opportunity to avoid the punishment that's coming because they won't be worthy of it. So as we talk about leadership, it really makes a difference. You study the kings. I know you know this because you've studied the kings in great detail. Leadership mattered right. with who was leading the kings, the kingdoms. If a good king was leading a kingdom, it usually would prosper. If a bad king, it wouldn't prosper. And so as we talk about leadership of the church, that's the Lord's kingdom that he has established, that we are blessed to be a part of. And so there are three areas of leadership that that really fall into the church. Right and I, I would I would like to say that you know we're going to list the preachers first cuz they're the most important they're not <laughs> I'm going to list them in the in the order that I think you and I would both agree is the order of importance not because preachers are going to be last because we're not good but because the elders and deacons have a major responsibility right the preachers if you will it's almost like we are the the cleanup guy in in a sport you know we come in we're the relief pitcher we come in and we clean things up that the others have laid down We're designed to preach and teach the truth, but there has to be that foundation by the elders and deacons as well, because preachers have such a large turnover in our world. Any given moment, a preacher has to relocate. And so the the foundation has to be solid, and that's what we're going to talk about first is the foundation of the kingdom, and then we're going to talk about those who help to continue on that foundation, and I believe that's the preachers. Let's talk about what would you do if your congregation wanted elders? You you don't have elders. You want to establish elders. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we
1: do it? You know, and I think the when you talk about leadership of the church, elders, deacons, preachers, uh, you know, you, you're you're looking at those um, who who set and lead by their example, and so we're we're looking at the character of of those men who are going to serve, and we are talking about men who are going to serve in these capacities. Um, you remember that uh, Paul, on his second missionary journey, went back through those, some of those same cities and went and uh, established elders in, in every congregation. That was that was vital to the work, and I think it was important. So, we're going to begin there and talking about that type of leadership in particular. Elders, 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us both elders and deacons qualifications as well as the wives. Of, of each of those uh, to be considered as well. And as far as that's concerned, we consider their children, even, you know, they have to have children and right. at, at least in the case of elders, you know, uh, believing, you know, children. So you, you think about uh, what is stated in 1 Timothy 3, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Let's remember to begin with, this is a good work. But it is an important work. Not to jump ahead to the the preachers, but if a preacher is going to do his work, the best to his ability, he needs elders in place doing their work, or else their work typically gets thrust upon the preacher. And if deacons are not in place... The deacon's work gets thrust upon the preacher and the preacher can't do his work. So thinking about this, this is a good work and it should be desired uh, in that way and, and not in, a, in an unhealthy type of way where I want to be a leader in the church. You know, I want to be able to take over. I want to get my way and therefore I'm going to be a leader. That's not what's being said here. This is a, this is a good work. And so, uh, a man who desires the office of a bishop, and, and those, and I guess we should say something about those words that are typically used interchangeably, elders, bishops, pastors, shepherds, and that kind of lends to what they do mm-hmm. in, in their work, and I'll let you talk about that in just a moment, but he said, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach, In other words, he's skilled in it, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He has a responsibility to take care of the church of God. He's not a novice, thus being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he needs to have a good report, verse 7, of them which are outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare uh, of the devil. There's a couple things that stand out to me in this, this passage. We're talking about character of men who are going to lead. And we're mm-hmm. talking about, if, if, you know, as the leadership goes, so goes the church as they say, and that's literally it. So we want men who are going to be leading, and, and God wanted men who would lead, who would be of the utmost quality and character. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but these men who, who desire this position, they meet these qualifications. Titus chapter 1 gives a very similar list there as well. First Peter chapter 5 uh, gives Peter, who also is an, an elder, would, would talk about those things and not lording over the, the, the house of the Lord but but leading in such a way as the Lord has established. And, and so when we look at these qualifications, I think it's important to, to have men there that we would want to follow. Mm-hmm. And those men stand out with that type of character.
0: Definitely so, and I think as you talked about you know, the, the interchangeable terms, preachers are often confused for pastors. Sure, <laughs> They're often called pastors or, or clergy or, or anything right. of that nature. I've got a card in my wallet for when I go to a certain hospital in my area that <laughs> I live in that's clergy right. parking. Well, you know, I was taught in school, use that. It's a benefit, you can use it and it's not sure. a problem, but I don't consider myself to be a pastor right. because I don't think I meet the qualifications of being a pastor because a pastor is just that. He's an elder, he's not a preacher. Right. Now, when we talk about the responsibilities of the elders, there are some problems as to why we've been called pastors. A lot of the churches have put qualifications for a preacher on the preacher Mm. that are really on the elders. For instance, the Bible teaches that the elders are to visit the sick. You know, you you have James talking about it, is anyone sick? Let the elders come and visit and and pray and and, they have a responsibility to visit the sick. Well, I'm a Christian. I also have a responsibility to visit the sick, but not just because I'm a gospel preacher because I'm a Christian, but in our world today, it's mainly one of the biggest areas that a preacher must do. (laughs) Well, you you better go visit. Well, if we really break it down, there is no command for the preacher to go visit. The preacher, which we'll get to in a moment, he's commanded to do really one thing and one thing only, (laughs) preach the word and to do all the things that that would entail. And in case, as the elders are talked about, they have to visit. But I think they have an even more important job than that. They are to feed and protect the flock. Now, we know not literally that we are a flock of sheep or anything of that nature, but we have been illustrated as such by the Lord, illustrated as the flock of God. And the shepherds, elders, are overseeing that flock. They are in charge, but they they have an incredible responsibility. They're told to feed the flock. And so I understand apt to teach, like you mentioned, is a good qualification that if the elder needed to, He should be able to get into the pulpit and give a sermon and give a Bible class. He should be able to study the Bible with someone in a good and accurate way and and without any fear that he would do anything wrong. But typically speaking, we have the preacher that does a lot of the... He's got the spoon, but the food is from the elders, if you will. The elders have determined that they want these sermons to be preached or they'll say, hey, we kind of want these subjects this year. They're still determining what to do. But I want to talk about the protecting of the flock, because this has been yeah. something that we have not touched on as much. It is great to talk about the qualifications that they must meet, that like you read and talked about, but there is a qualification, I believe in Titus, that we a lot of times forget to really look into, and it begins in verse 9. It's talking about holding fast the faithful word that he's been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths, notice what it says, must be stopped. They can't be allowed to subvert whole households and teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them, what? Sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. I want you to notice verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You know what that tells me? The way I live my life, if I am a horrible, downright, rotten person, the elders must be able to spot that out even if I come in to a meeting with them or come into the assembly or come into their midst with the best of looks and smiles on my face. They must be able to prove who is a wolf and who is a sheep. Right. Because the wolf's going to come in and he's looking for a meal. Yeah. He wants to destroy the flock. He wants to terrorize the flock. And the elders are the ones... You know, when we talk about the flock and the elders being shepherds, that shepherd carried a staff, a rod... And the purpose of that rod was twofold. It was to lead and to protect. Oftentimes, if a wolf would come into the midst, the person's not going to drop the rod and go fight barehanded. They're going to try to use that to their advantage and to fight off the enemy. The elders are not going to physically take a rod to someone who comes into the congregation to cause strife. Mm -hmm. But scripturally and spiritually speaking, they will and say, you get out of here. You have no business. We don't want you coming in here and ruining this congregation. I think we've gotten too concerned with feelings in the elderships today. We've gotten too worried about whether or not people will come back and whether that collection will stay where Mm -hmm. we want it to stay. And the number. Exactly, the number, we want Mm -hmm. the number. You know, we've had 175, we want it to stay at 175. You know, we've had $8,000 in the collection plate. We don't want it to go down to six. In the first century church, your wife actually gave me notes on this. Mm -hmm. They didn't lack anything because they did what was right. Right. And if the elders do what's right and protect the flock and feed the flock and visit the sick and do the other aspects of the work that they need to do and care for the flock, we won't lack anything either. I would argue our contribution would increase, not decrease. Perhaps there are people that aren't coming to services because of that person that's in the flock that the elders are allowing to be in the flock. Perhaps on and on you could go. Perhaps someone's not attending a congregation because there is no shepherd. There is no, you know, someone attending to the flock. That happens in our world right. today. Elders have an incredible responsibility and every congregation is expected to have an eldership. Right. There is That's no if and or but Paul Paul like you said went through to Ephesus and established elders and then he told Timothy, I'm going to leave you in Ephesus. I'm going to leave you here. You go through and establish elders in other places as well. You've got a responsibility. Right. Every place needs an eldership. It's the way God intended the work to to happen. Right. And it doesn't work properly if you don't do it. it to me, it reminds me of a vacuum. You let mm-hmm. that vacuum fill up, is it still going to run? Yeah. Is it going to do its job properly? No. Oh. It's got to have a clean filter, a clean ability. An eldership in a congregation has always been intended. Now, one thing I want to say before I move on because th- not the deacons and preachers aren't important, but this to me, this is the pinnacle. It is. This is right. the top yeah. of Mount Everett. This is it. They can become disqualified to lead. They may have at one time been blameless and the husband of one wife and temperate and sober-minded and uh, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. They may have not been given to wine or violent or not soon angry, but then all of a sudden they don't meet a qualification anymore. Say that the man wasn't soon angry when he was you know, initiated, if you will, as an elder, but then over time he becomes soon angry. We got a problem. He either needs to resign, which I don't want to see. He either needs to repent or resign. Those are the only two options he has. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get to say, well, ha, can't get me out now. No, he's going to stand in judgment and be responsible for what he's done. So we need to make sure that we understand elders, it, it, I think you said this to me earlier, it's not a lifetime
1: appointment. Appointment.
0: Yeah. It's not something that I get and I get to hold on for the rest of my life. No, you can lose it. It's a lot like our salvation. We can lose it if we don't meet the qualifications anymore.
1: Yeah, and and I heard this stated before that they can be appointed and disappointed. Yes. And, and there may be times when they should be disappointed. Um, and if we understand that correctly, what I'm talking about, but obviously, uh, that that is an important part of it, and, and without having uh, an eldership, it makes the work so difficult. And uh, and we have to be you know, reminded that this is the Lord's plan to have this in place. And um, and I think about deacons. You know, that we, to, to shift to talking about deacons for just a moment, you know, we we look at their qualifications that that follow uh, suit there in First Timothy chapter three, and and I. I think the key word, you know, not to go through all of those qualifications again, but verse eight, the word likewise. Yeah. Again, we're talking about men who, who, who meet certain qualifications, yes, but, but like the elders, they are men of character. And so uh, sometimes we, we might look at a younger man as an opportunity. You know, his, uh, you know, maybe he's got a younger family, and he's, but he's raising his, his children, and, and we see that, and, and we get down to verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, and not slanderers, sober, faithful, and all things. And so, we can see that, that we're, we're considering the, the wives of both elders and, and deacons in those qualifications as well. And when you, when you consider these men in the works, when we talk about a deacon, though, the, the, the work is different they are everyone's a servant okay we're all ministers in one sense because we're all to be servants and 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 so but this is the office of a special servant and it's not just over the physical things. Sometimes we separate and say, well, the elders are over the spiritual and the deacons are over the the physical. That's not really a a good separation of things because you might have a deacon that's over evangelism. That's pretty spiritual. Uh, You might have a deacon that's over uh, youth. That's not necessarily physical. That's over the spiritual growth of those young people. Uh, So uh, it might be over mission works, or it might be the physical church building to take care of the buildings and the grounds or things like that. So yeah, there might be some physical things, um, but that's not really a good way to separate it. But the elders decide these are the works that we need men to oversee so that we can continue to maintain the the spiritual health of the congregation, protecting and caring for and feeding the flock in those ways that you were talking about uh, just a moment ago. So these deacons are special servants, much like we see in Acts chapter 6. Here was a need that, that needed to be taken care of and so these men were chosen to go and to, to do this particular work. I think that's the best illustration of it that we find in Scripture is, is Acts chapter 6. And uh, whether they were uh, the office of or, or not, that can be debated back and forth, and I've heard both sides of the argument. But these men were, were special servants uh, to, to, to carry out the, the taking care of the, the Grecian widows uh, who were being neglected in that chapter but But, the key to understanding this is that we're talking about likewise these are men of certain caliber. these are men of certain quality and character in their life. These are men that we would follow. These are men that we want to serve alongside of and and, and that's one of the things that I, I think that as a congregation, we look to these men and say, okay well they uh, they they lead us, they they serve us in that way, they lead us, yes, they serve us and God." And we serve alongside them. It's not just us sitting back and saying, Lead us, serve us. We follow. We mm-hmm. you know, leader is, is not gonna be very good if he doesn't have anyone following him. Uh and, and, and so we as the congregation must follow. And as as preachers, we must Follow their leadership as well and work alongside them, serve alongside them. And I think that's what you consider when you think about deacons who, who they're going to, to serve and the elders are going to give them certain works to do. Um, sometimes I, I've seen congregations who have had deacons that were basically in name only. They they were listed on a bulletin. Uh, we have our deacons here. They are whatever. Well, what do these men do? Well, we're we don't really have a work for this one right now. Well, why not? That he needs, you know, a, a deacon is a servant. He is to be a worker. Um, you can't just have one really in name. He needs to he needs to have a role. He needs to have a work right. that he's doing. It's an office, so he has to have a work or else he's not not really a deacon. So Brother
0: Mosier used to tell us in class, I don't know if he told you this or not, but he had an experience with a man where he said, what do you do here? I'm a deacon. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a deacon. And he said, so you deke? what you know, what, <laughs> right. what is it that you that do? Mean? So <laughs> right. what would you do if someone said, describe a deacon to me in one word? What would you do if that was the question that was asked? In one word, describe what a deacon is. Serve.
1: I mean, that, that's the very root of the word is yeah. to serve. Um, and and so a special, you know, having an office that means he's a special servant, and so he's given a work to do so that he can serve, or else he's not really a deacon in in that in that way. I think the 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 problem that we sometimes run into is is we're looking at these qualifications, and 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 sometimes we're we're caught on the qualifications, and and. They have to be there. The, the men have to meet the qualifications to be so. But we think about the the work of the Lord's church. Mm-hmm. Christ is the head. We, you know, we, we talk about leadership. We're talking about Christ as the head of all of this right. to begin with. But 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 these special servants need to be given tasks that benefit the congregation. Um, and and so, and, and every congregation is a little different. You know, there are certain works in which this congregation A may be involved in. Congregation B may not. Uh, may not be a, a city congregation, may not have this specific uh, type of work that maybe they're involved in, but they have other works in which they're involved in that congregation A does not. And so, um, and so each congregation has a specific type of work that would characterize its its work, and so we, we need to look at that and and consider these men in those particular roles. And so wise elders are going to choose men who are going to serve in these capacities in these particular works?
0: Well, of course, you know, last and I wouldn't say least, but last (laughs) of all, um, let's talk about the positions that you and I fill for our congregations. We're both ministers of the gospel. Preacher is typically the term that we (laughs) use, but minister of the gospel might even be better because we are to minister to people about Jesus Christ and the good news. And so, you know, what would you do if someone wants to know about preachers? Well, get, give like a, I, mean, I guess, like a three-point thing of what a preacher's supposed to do, maybe.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I look at the, the letters written to preachers, Timothy and Titus, First and Second Timothy and Titus. They, they were written by Paul to preachers. And, and so we, we, we not only find the qualifications of elders and deacons there, but we find out the work. That, that, they were in, that those preachers were engaged in, and of course, they, they, they were to maintain their purity. They were to make full proof of their ministry, and, and you know, they were to preach. And, and so when, when I think of, I, I typically look at it in, in three words. I, I look at ministers, so he is a servant. He's going to make full proof of his ministry. How does he do that? Well, he is a servant. He makes sure that he's serving the congregation. He's, he's, he, he's a local preacher before he's everything else you know, and, and as as far as this work to the congregation. And so but he's also an evangelist because he's he's not only preaching in the pulpit, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but he's he's evangelizing everywhere he goes. He is he's to be evangelistic in his spirit. Now some some, you know, are, are geared in their in their ways more to being a teacher, more to being uh, maybe a, a servant, uh, more to uh, sometimes certain administrative things that come with our, our works, um, some are geared more towards that. Um, I, I feel like I work better as an evangelist. I, I, I I'm, and my mind is geared that way. I I, I think that way, and so I, I I like to see myself as an evangelist. But I have these other works that I'm involved in too, and certainly preaching, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. So when I when I think about preaching in that way. You know, I I begin to look at, okay, well, I I have a responsibility to preach the Word, to do it when it's comfortable for me or not comfortable for me, when they want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it, as some preachers have stated. Um, But the the idea of of all of that kind of encompasses the work. We're preaching, we're ministers, we're servants. uh, But I'm pretty quick to remind the whole congregation that we're all ministers. Uh, and sometimes I'll even put that on, on our bulletin or whatever, you know, here's the, the preacher, Wayne Rogers, minister, all members. You know, we're, we're all you know, ministers in that way. We're all to be servants of God. And so just a reminder in that. But to, to preach the Word, to be an evangelist, to make full proof of thy ministry uh, is what Paul told Timothy to, to do. You make sure, you, you read, you give, you give attendance to, to reading, to exhorting and encouraging, you, you make full proof of, of the work that you're doing, and so we, we have to, we're constantly studying, preparing ourselves to be able to preach, but we're also looking for those opportunities to be able to teach and to evangelize, and we're also seeing opportunities and needs that have to be met by the congregation and even by our community, so we serve. In that way, that, that's kind of how it would break down the the work, if you will, yeah. of a preacher.
0: I want to talk about the preaching itself <laughs> because I think, um, like I mentioned with our elders, there, there's a problem because we're forgetting that we're expected to protect the flock. Right. In some ways, we're forgetting that we're supposed to feed the flock. True. And there's two ways to feed a flock when you when you're preaching. There's the compassionate sermon. Right. Those are the sermons that are about love and peace. Or even if it's on a hard biblical subject, you know, you will preach it with more compassion, more of a just kind of a a sweetness to it, if you will. A care. There's a caring aspect of it. There's this idea that you're not going to walk away from that sermon and doubt whether or not the preacher loves you and cares for you. And that's biblical because you have Jude 1... And of course, only one chapter, but mm-hmm. Jude 1, says, you know, you keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some have compassion.
1: Right.
0: You have compassion on them, making a distinction. You, you distinct. There's, there's going to be some sermons that I make a distinction on. I am going to preach about heaven because a family just lost their boy or they lost a loved one. Someone lost their spouse. I'm going to preach about victory. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have compassion. That's not the day to stand into the pulpit and preach out on pornography or abortion or all the things, and those are wrong. Yeah. But that's not the day to do it because they need something other than that that day. Right. But verse 23 tells me that others you save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I can't look at someone that's on fire and say, hey man, you know you're on fire. Right. There's an urgency that's used. I grab that person, I throw them out of the fire, I try to do everything I can to put the fire out of them. That tells me there are some sermons that have to be gut punches. A boxer, when he fights, he comes out in the fight and he says, you know what? I can't come out swinging as hard as I possibly can because I might lose the fight. And he understands that. I come out too strong, I'll get myself winded, and I'm not gonna win. The boxer, you watch him, he usually works his way into it. And then finally, there's a specific round where he goes, it's time. I think that's what preachers are supposed
1: to do. Mm -hmm.
0: When you go to a new congregation, your first Sunday there's not to preach out against the sin that the congregation might be struggling with. Your first Sunday is to to get them to endear themselves to you first, Mm -hmm. to get them to love you first. Then, when it can't be said that Wayne Rogers or Michael Clark doesn't love us, when that can't be said about us, that's when you haymaker. That's (laughs) when you say, now's the time that we're gonna have a hard subject because you know when I preach on it, it's not because I don't love you, right. it's because I love you. It's like a doctor. The doctor has to have a good relationship with his patient so that when he says the bad news, they accept it. They don't get upset with him. And as we talk about preachers and deacons and elders, all of them have an incredibly important role. The preacher has one of the more important roles in the sense of he has to make sure the congregation knows that he loves them, but that he holds them accountable too.
1: Right. And they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Absolutely. And, I, and I've heard that over and over Absolutely. Too. I
0: know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know, all I know that my Redeemer lives.